If you're at your seats, open to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2. As we wind up 2015, I'm really, really enthused, really excited about what God has done this fall. Uh, through the teaching of His Word, we have been, uh, really, we spent three months uh, looking at what the Bible teaches about God's goodness. God's goodness. Everyone say goodness. Right? Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Psalm 119, 68. You are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Right? Every, every Sunday we start off, you know, God is all the time and all the time, God is, right? And so we say that, and we spent three months looking at what the Bible teaches about it. The question as we round out the year and then launch into 2016 is, what difference has it made? What difference has it made in your life that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. He's the essence of good. Everything He does is good. He desires your good. He works all things for your good. And if you've taken the time this fall, uh, it has been such a foundational teaching, a foundational uh, truth, because all of God's attributes really flow out of His goodness. We tend to focus on He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all-present, you know, He's love, He's da-da-da, and all of that really flows out of His goodness. Much of His attributes are just manifestations of His goodness. And so for many of us, I, I know I've talked to you, wow, God is good. And, and honestly, that truth has just kind of, kind of put a smile on your face. He's kind of perked you up a little bit. Because for many of us, even in the church, we thought that, that God, well, we know that He's good, but I think He's just kind of mad all the time at me because I mess up a lot. So I think He knows I'm doing my best, but I think He just has a general anger towards me, waiting for me to mess up again. Thank you for your honesty. Right? In the church, sometimes, you know, even with the best of intentions to be godly, to, to honor God and be obedient, we tend to focus on the negative. We tend to focus on where we fall short. And then we translate those emotions and feelings about ourselves onto how God must think about us. And for three months, we've been hearing from Scripture, God is good, God is good, God is good. God desires your good. God constantly. And if we have allowed ourselves through the fall to oh, to wake up and maybe the first thought in your, in your mind when you wake up in the morning is, oh, I hope the Lord doesn't get too mad at me today, has been changed to, oh, Lord, thank you that you're good and you desire my good today. Something as, as simple as that first thought about God can radically transform your attitude, your thoughts, your emotions, your relationships with others, right? And we, we've been looking at 
God's goodness. And then the last few weeks we've seen that God's goodness is actually directly related, inseparable from this kind of really church word called what? Repentance. Da-da-da. Right? Cue, cue lightning bolts. Cue thunder. Right? Cue anger. Because it's repentance time. Yeah, but look in Romans 2, 4. Right? Speaking to the, the Jewish congregation in Rome, he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness or goodness? We've seen that those two are synonymous there. Tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness, God's goodness, leads you toward what? Repentance. It's God's goodness. It's His kindness. It's His mercy. It's His patience. It's His love. That he, all of that is designed to lead you to repentance. But many of us have seen on TV and newspaper and whatever we picked up that, no, it's God's anger, wrath, the fear of God. Right? Thou shalt repent. Right? I mean, we have these voices. We have these images. And all of a sudden, Romans 2, 4 says, no, no, time out. It's God's kindness that is designed to lead us to a change of mind about Him. It's His kindness where we go, oh, Lord, forgive me. You know, when it says, have you been showing contempt? It means, have you been valuing it little? Have you been looking down upon? Have you just been ignoring it? It's like, oh, wait, if I'll stop and take the time to really think about God's goodness to me, it's all designed for us to go, oh, oh, yeah, oh, wow. You're a good God. Oh, Jesus, Jesus was sent to save. Oh, got it. And we change our mind. We change our mind about God. We change our mind about Jesus. And our life changes as that change of mind manifests itself, right? And so we've seen God's goodness for three months, for about three weeks. We're looking at God's goodness, inseparable from repentance. And we're going to kind of continue that theme as we close out the year and, and launch into 2016. But before we do that, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your goodness. Your goodness. And Lord, we have learned the last several weeks that repentance, biblical repentance, is at its core a change of mind. A change of mind that impacts our entire life, our entire being. It's a change of mind first and foremost about Jesus Christ being Messiah, Savior of the world. And then it's a change of mind about what Your Word says in our lives and and, and really changing our mind to match Your mind, Your will. And so, Father, as we continue this morning looking at Your Word, I again reminded we are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us understand and then Lord to bring specific practical application and we know that's through the renewing of our mind that we are transformed so thank you for your word and for our time and ask you now to do what only you can do in Jesus name Amen Uh, I I wanted to give you a little opportunity for reflection and, and prayer as we round out Uh, the end of the year. So if you turn, if you have the sermon notes, turn to the part at the top that says doing the word. And I'm going to give you, we're going to walk through this because I want this to be something you take with you 
and in your prayer time, as you reflect on the year, as you reflect on your relationship with God today. This is kind of a summary of what we've talked about the last three months, but with specific questions. So the first one there, it says, well, James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? You heard that here all the time. First bullet point, do I need to change my mind about the definition and application of biblical repentance, right? So flip it over really quick. And it says there, biblical repentance is not primarily, not, okay? These are a lot of the things that we've covered. Just quick, biblical repentance is not remorse. It's not, it's not feeling guilty. Biblical repentance is not regret, right? It's not feeling bad about consequences. Repentance is not resolutions. It's not restitution. Biblical repentance is not reformation, you know. And biblical repentance is not just recognition. That one is key. Because a lot of us think that, oh, i got to repent. Yeah, I repent. I recognize there's things in my life that need to change. I must have repented. No, you recognized. You admit. That might be more confession. But you may not have repented. See, a lot of those R words there, we put them and we assume it's biblical repentance and it's not. And here's the key. We can, we can feel a lot of remorse, a lot of regret. We can make resolutions, do restitution. We can be you know, really strong in our reformation. We can even recognize a lot of stuff. But here's the thing. Then we can keep our sin. Then we just keep on doing it. You ever been in a situation where you're doing something you know you ought not to be? Anyone? If you're honest, right? Shouldn't be doing this. They say nothing's hidden from God's sight. I know you see me, God. Shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I did it. Bad me. Bad me. Bad me. Guess I gotta go to church Sunday. Make up for that. So bad me, bad me, we equate with repentance. No, it's not. Because once you get over the bad me, bad me, and you feel bad for a while, what happens? I know it's you. Bad me. It's not repentance. Repentance is, is a change of mind. And that change of mind, which the Bible says bear fruits of repentance. When you change your mind, over time, it's a process, but it begins with a first decision to change your mind. And then choices daily to keep that change in place. When you make that change, when you repent, your life changes. Your life changes. So when you circle around and you see it, you're like, no. I changed my mind about that. This is what God's Word says about that. I'm not going to go there. I have chosen to be in line with what God's Word says about that issue in my life. I am no longer a slave to that. Amen? I choose. I have repented. I have changed my mind about that issue. I now know what God's Word says about that issue. I now bring the Holy Spirit to bear in that issue. I now call my brothers when I'm tempted with that issue. Amen? See, that's repentance. You made a change of mind and then you did some practical things to implement that change. That's biblical repentance. That's why repentance isn't just a one-off, something you do to get saved. 
we've seen in the last three months, Jesus in Revelation called out churches. Whole churches were called to repent. Churches that thought they were right on track. Churches that thought they were doing the right thing. Uh, This is Jesus. Can I come in? You guys think you're all good and you're all that and you got it all today and you got more people coming. Worship team's really good. (laughs) Excuse me. Mr. Pastor, you don't love me anymore. What? Yeah, repent, Pastor. See, repentance is not just for the unsaved to get saved. Repentance is for believers to live a life of repentance which is a life of continually being open to the Holy Spirit, changing my mind to match this. Amen? That's repentance. That's sanctification. That's what it is. A lot of times, 20 plus years of counseling, you know where it comes down to after we peel back layer after layer after layer? It comes down to one question often. Are you willing to make your life change to match this? It's an issue of the will. Are you willing to repent and change your mind about this issue in your life to simply match what God's Word says? That's biblical repentance, right? So on the back there, that question was, do I need to change my mind about the definition and application of biblical repentance? And then I stuck in a little bullet after the verses. Will I? Everyone say, will I? What changes will be made in my life? Ooh, the will I. Hmm. You see? It's good to hear Scripture. It's good to desire to obey Scripture. It's good to intend. All of that. Great. But will I? Ooh. Right? Oftentimes it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. Is it a can't or a won't? Will I? Will I? It comes down to the will. Will I, right? Next one. Do I need to change my mind about how I view God's character, His goodness, right? Will I? So, see, oftentimes I put two questions there, right? Do I need to change my mind about how I view God's character? How many say, yes, I, I do, I, right? I didn't know all about God's goodness. Anyone? Yes? Okay, so we say recognition. Yes, I need that change. Will I? That's the repentance part. Okay? Do I need to change my mind about Jesus? Maybe there's someone here who has not changed your mind about what the Bible says about who Jesus is. He's Savior of the world. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Salvation, at biblical repentance at the point of salvation we talked about, is really somebody changing their mind about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus the Christ. The anointed one, Messiah. When someone changes their mind about Jesus and puts their faith in Jesus, that's repentance. That's salvation. Okay? Do I need to change my mind about Jesus? Will I? Do I need to change my mind about pursuing goodness and happiness versus godliness and holiness? We talked about this one. This one was was tough last week. We asked last week, as a Christian... Is your ultimate goal to be good and happy? We, call it, we, we talked about last week, right? The church of good and happy. Is that our ultimate goal? Well, Lord, I put my faith in Jesus. I don't do the big three anymore. I'm a, good, I'm a gooder person. 
I'm better than I was, so now I'm good. And I'm kind of happy being gooder. Is that it? Is that why you're here this morning? Just to continue being a good and happy person. Is that what the Bible says we're to be? Because 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, because I am holy. So do we need to have a change of mind about what, what our goal is as a Christian? What's your goal today? As a believer, when you woke up, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing today? Good? Just to be good? Just to be happy? See, this is where we have to be very careful because we're going to see in Romans 12 too about being conformed to the world. How much of yours, how much of my Christian values are really the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness? How much of our biblical, what we would consider our Christian value system, is really the American dream? That takes time to think through. Why do you do what you do? What is your goal as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus? Is it just to be good and happy? Because the Bible says we're to be holy, as He is holy. Set apart for God's purpose. So the question is, do you need to repent? Do you need to change your mind? And will you? Will you? Do I need to change my mind about trying to be godly versus training to be godly? How many of you have ever been so frustrated because you try so hard? Anyone? I try. I try. I try. I try. I just thought, Scott, I'm going to use you. You're in the front row. If you've been here for any length of time, this is the front rows like like if you've been to SeaWorld, the splash zone, right? If you're a fair game for illustrations, if you're in the front row, that's how come everybody keeps moving back, right? <laughs> Lord, we just pray for Bill's attitude right now. And... All right, so quick thing that just came to my mind. We get caught up in this attitude and we think we got to try. We got to try. We got to try, right? So here's what we do. You've seen this before if you've been here. Okay? The goal is not to let the Bible fall. The goal is not to let the Bible fall. There is a law acting upon the Bible right now called what? Gravity. Continuously. Right now, it's happening. Scott, in his physicality right now, in his energy level, in his strength right now, he is able to overcome the law of gravity. Let's go have donuts and we'll check on him in 30 minutes. <laughs> what is going to win eventually? Gravity. The law. There is a, a, a law of sin. There is a law of sin that Paul talks about in Romans 7. And in our best effort, we think we have to try. And for a while... We're good. For a while in our best effort, we're disciplined. For a while in our best effort, we fulfill those New Year's resolutions. But that law of sin is just, it's just continually weighing on us. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's getting kind of heavy, huh? Right? I mean, it's getting there. And then, and then what happens eventually the law of gravity will win out and it will fall. And Scott, because he's a very competitive guy, will say, no. After, after a brief rest, it's going to go right back up. <laughs> Higher too, right? Because that little, that little, we do that. Thank you. So how many of us in our Christian life just try? And then we do, ah, okay, 
I'm going to do the reading plan this year. Three years ago, I, went it, I made it one month. Last year, I made it two months. 2016 is the year. Oh! We live this world of trying, and we get frustrated. And we think God's mad at us. And then we don't even want to try anymore. We stop coming to church. We stop reading our Bible. We stop praying. Because we say, what's the use? Right? And we learned last week, it's not about trying. Turn to 1 Timothy 4. It's about training. 1 Timothy 4. First Timothy four seven. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train. That word is exercise. That's where we get the word gymnasium. Okay, that's what that word. It's exercise. It's gymnasium. Train yourself to be what? Godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Okay, so what does it say in verse 7 again? Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales. Rather, try really hard to be godly. Is that what it says? It says what? Train, exercise, gymnasium. Train yourself to be godly. So as we wrap up the year, some of us have to spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, okay, has my goal been goodness and happiness or godliness and holiness? Do I need to change that? Do I need to repent, have a change of mind regarding that? And Lord, do I need to have a change of mind about trying versus training? See, if you'll take the time to think and meditate and reflect upon Scripture and let the Holy Spirit begin to really speak truth, some of you are going to have a radical new relationship with Jesus. Radical. Radical, radical, radical. Because there's going to be this supernatural transformation that happens from the inside out. As you, as you hear God speak and you say, no, that area of your life's not in line with my word. Okay, Lord, I, I choose to repent. Now I need you in the Holy Spirit to lead me, direct me, put people in my life to make that change real. And in that real change, man, oh man, 2016... I don't even, okay, the rest of 2015. Okay, today could be really awesome for you. Today. Today. Okay, before you leave here and go there, could be really awesome. Could be. If you just make a choice. If you just make a choice regarding why you're here. Regarding why you're here. Why do you do what you do as a Christian? You ever think about that? Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to church? Why do you go to Wednesday night? Why do you go to Delta Group? Well, you know, why? Or I can ask it the other way. Why don't you? Why don't you go to church? Why don't you go to Wednesday night? Why don't you go to Delta Group? Why don't you go to Women's Bible? You can ask it both ways. Because... It takes us all the way to the core of what's 
okay, so, so it's godliness and holiness we're pursuing. Be holy. Train yourself unto godliness. But what does that mean in terms of, how does that fit with what I'm supposed to be doing, what I do as a believer? Right? How many of you remember uh, the original karate kid, Mr. Miyagi? Right? We're going to date ourselves here, right? So you remember, right? Yeah, right? You remember uh, uh, Ralph Macchio, right? And, and, and Mr. Miyagi, right? They don't even know each other. And then you remember the first time the karate kid goes to his, his house and he puts him at the fence. What does he have him do? He says, you know, paint the fence, right? So he gets a brush and he does this, right? And so for a whole day, the karate kid paints this fence, right? He's finished. Okay, I finished painting the fence. Okay, okay. Now, now wax the car. What do you mean wax the car? Well, wax on, wax off. Ah, see, huh? right? Wax on, wax off, right? And so the karate kid does that. And at the end of the day, he's mad because he thinks Mr. Miyagi just took advantage of him to get his fence painted and his cars all waxed because he had several cars. He goes, what's the point? You're just using me. What is the point? And, and, and so Mr. Miyagi calls, you know, Daniel-san, right? His name's Daniel. Daniel-san, come here. Right? So he faces him and, and he goes, what's the point, Mr. Miyagi? You just used me. Paint the fence, wax on, wax off. He says, Daniel-san, come here. And Mr. Bad goes, ah! and all of a sudden, Daniel-san is like painting the fence. <laughs> wax on, wax off, right? He's like, ah! Oh. Painting the fence was a defensive mood. And wax on, wax off was, you were training me. I get it. It was all karate moves, right? Why well, read the Bible, Pastor? Why go to church? What's the point? What's the point? Ernie son, come here. You're right? No. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. Well, on the one hand, there is a devil. And the Bible says he's out to devour you. So we are in a spiritual warfare. So you better be doing some stuff for the warfare. There's a sin nature. So you better be doing some stuff we call them spiritual disciplines, habits of holiness, whatever you want to call them, because there's a higher purpose. There's a higher purpose. And my point in, in this week and next week is that maybe some of the dots and, and lines will be connected for you. Like, ah, oh, that's why they say we should do this. That's why it's important. That's what it means. I thought they just wanted to be me super busy at the church. And I thought the pastor just, you know, he wanted me to be feel guilty about not reading my Bible and guilty about not spending quiet time with God and guilty about not going to studies. No. No. We're called the shepherd. And as shepherds, we know there's a whole lot of wolves out there. And there's a whole lot of stuff even inside us that's sin nature. And the things we encourage you to do, the things we try to teach you to do, expository study, everything, has a higher purpose. Has a higher purpose. It's not just random things that we say, okay, how can we like clutter up their life more, Bill? <laughs> We're not trying to make your life miserable, more busy. It's because we see things. We know things. That you know. It's all there in Scripture. It's nothing secret. We're just called to shepherd you and encourage you in your faith, in your walk with Jesus. So the question is, why are you here? 
Why are you here today? What purpose does, does even church attendance have? Right? And if you look on your notes, or actually the front of your bulletin, there's a question, sort of a form of a question, that we're going to ask. And it says three words. And it's really a question about why are you here today? Is it information? Reformation? Or transformation? And your answer has everything to do with your enthusiasm, your motive, your prior, where this lands in your priority scale, everything. Are you here to gather more information? To be informed? Is that why you come? To be smarter. Now, doctrine is important. Study to show yourself approved. You've got to know doctrine. You've got to know truth. Amen? A lot of false teachers out there. Not, I'm not saying don't study. But did you primarily come today for information's sake? To gather more information? My brother Mike gave me permission to use this once again. Was it last year? A year or two ago. Mike said, hey, I have all the sermon notes that you passed out since we started here. This is like three years worth of sermon notes. That's little half pages you have it? Three, four years. That's a lot of information. Is that why we're here? To collect sermon notes, put them in rubber bands, and then put them on the shelf and go, that's good. That's what we're about right there. And then, and then, come on over. We start just comparing the stuff. How big yours? Got a little, mine's a, I've been there more than you, Mike. I've been there more. I got you know, a little higher, right? Well, why do you have these? What's the purpose? More information? Is, that, is it just to be more informed? Right? Is that what the purpose is? Jesus in John 5, he calls out the Pharisees. He says, hey, you diligently study the Scriptures, but you refuse to come to me, who they point to. The Jewish Pharisees were, were like known for they, how they studied. Known. They memorized entire books. They counted the words and the letters. Some of them could even tell you what the middle letter was. That's, they knew it. They knew it. They knew it. They knew it. Yet Jesus calls them out and says, you know what? All that academic pride and you don't even, you're missing. It's just information. It's just pride and academia to you. Is it just, what is this? What? I'm even convicted because I create these and I, my, I don't even know where half of mine went. <laughs> At least Mike kept them together, right? What, what's the point? What's the point? Information? Is this, is this, what, we, is this what we hang our hat on? How, how, how thick is our stack of, of sermon notes? What are you supposed to do with this? What are you supposed to do with this? Or, right, use it, right? And then, and then the second is information and the second word, reformation. What I mean by that is the word reformed, which is, it's all about, I'm here because I've got to correct some bad behavior. Do we come to church? Is church just about reformation? I've been doing some bad things in my life, so I'm going to come to church so I can clean up my act. Not necessarily my heart, but my act. Do you come to church... 
for Reformation's sake? Do you come to church to please somebody? Because you got to? Is it Reformation? Is it, are we here just to, you know, learn more what, not, what we're not supposed to be doing? Right? How many of you would love to go to a church? I can't wait to get to church, Diana, because Pastor Richie is just going to tell me how bad I'm doing and, what, and, and, and give me a list of ten more things I'm not supposed to do. Anyone want to go to that? How was church? <laughs> you don't want to know. Uh, you know? Why are we here? Is it information? Is it reformation? You know? Let's just look good, good and just be the good and happy church. Right? How you doing? Good. Fine. Let's be the good and fine church. Right? How you doing? Fine. I'm not going to tell you I lost my job and all that, but I'm fine. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. Even families, they're fighting on the way to church. There's a miracle that happens when they get out of the car between the, the, the bank and here. Mike and Cindy. How you doing? Good. How's your marriage? Fine. Just kidding. Yeah. Miracles happen on this street. It is amazing. Shh, don't tell them we do that. Shh. Pastor, how's your week? Great. As we got in a fight before I leave the house this morning, you know what I mean? Like, ah, see you at church. Jesus loves you. Got to go preach now. How you doing, Pastor? Good. God bless you. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You, uh, deal with you at home. Is that what we're about? Just becoming like really good at appearance sake. I lost where I was now. Okay. Let's bring it all the way back. For those of you listening on the tape, <laughs> there is a point. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12. All right. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll close with this and we'll... Romans 12, 1 and 2. So in Romans 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul has just expounded tremendously on the incredible gospel of salvation coming to the Jews and the Gentiles. Romans 1 through 11 are all about God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion, and that the gospel has gone forth to the world. Okay? That's Romans 1 through 11. Romans 12, 1, when he says, Therefore... Right? Some of you know this right, from Bible study. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what is it therefore? Right? So that therefore in Romans 12.1 means, therefore, in light of what you just read in Romans 1-11 through 11 about the, the incredible gospel going forth, about God's goodness, God's grace, God's salvation, it says therefore. Now he's going to get practical. Romans 1-11 through 11 was doctrinal primarily. Now Romans 12, there's a shift. He says this, therefore. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, real important, where it says this is your spiritual act of worship, in the New King James Version, it says, which is your reasonable service. That word spiritual kind of throws us off because there's a lot of connotations about that. Really what they're referring to in that word spiritual is reason, intellect, rational, logic. Okay, that's why I like the New King James, which is your reasonable service. So here's what he says. Hey, I want you to take a deep breath. Because of God's goodness, His mercy, His compassion, the most reasonable, intelligent, rational thing you can choose to do is to present yourself to Him as a living sacrifice. Your body. Think about that. In light of God's salvation, in light of His goodness, His grace, His mercy, His kindness, the most reasonable, rational, intelligent, logical thing you can do is say, Lord, I'm yours. A living sacrifice. Now, remember who he's talking to. These are people who are coming out of the old Levitical system of sacrifice, right? So when he says, present yourself a living sacrifice, they're like, what? Because the only sacrifices we know are dead and cooked. A living sacrifice? Are you serious? Yeah. He said, the Bible says we're alive to Christ. We're alive in Christ, Romans 6, 11. He says, hey, you who have been born again, who are alive in Christ, the most reasonable, logical, intelligent, rational thing you can do is to be a living sacrifice. Give yourself completely to God. Give yourself completely. That's, I love the word why he uses the word body. Because he doesn't say, hey, hey you, it doesn't say this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your Sunday mornings, to offer your money, to offer your gifts, to offer what's convenient for you to offer. What does he say here? To offer your bodies. And that word bodies literally means bodies, your whole being. You ever hear anyone say, I can't be there, but I'll be with you in the spirit? No, I can't be at church, Pastor, but I'll be there in spirit. I think God wants you here. Like, physically. Do you know what I'm saying? We've got to be real careful that we don't make excuses and kind of like these little cliche things that really are our are, are way of wiggling out of being a living sacrifice being a living sacrifice. And he means a living sacrifice. Holy, which is set apart for God's purpose. Right? And then he says this, because keep reading. He says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, we're not here for information. We're not here for reformation. If you're a believer, according to Romans 12:2, we're here as part of the transformation. Being transformed which is a supernatural act. That word transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis. Anyone familiar with the worm? What does the little worm become? The butterfly, right? Remember that song, Bullfrogs and Butterflies, they've both been born again, right? I don't know if you remember that. There is a worm. There is, you should learn the song. It's a cute song. 
full frogs and butterflies, they've both been born again. Right? So this little worm becomes a butterfly. Metamorphosis. Right? What was in the worm's DNA comes out. That word transformed is also in Matthew 17, 2, where it says, There Jesus was transfigured before them. He shone, his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. That is transfigured and transformed are the same exact word. When Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, what happened? He changed from the... Look at, let's look at Matthew 17, 2. This is really important. Matthew 17, 2. Let's go there really fast. Matthew 17. We'll read one. We'll start in one just to give context. Matthew 17, 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he, that's Jesus, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. When Jesus was transfigured, when he went through a metamorphosis, here's the key. Who he was inside came out. When it says he was transfigured and he's shown in all that, his glory, his nature, boom, was released. Here's the good news. You and I are in transformation. Metamorphosis. And God is like, I want what's in you, who's in you, to simply come out. Amen? Well, who's in me? Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We're not here for information's sake. We're not here for reformation's sake. We are here because we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? As we are transformed, guess what happens? Jesus comes out more and more. As you train yourself to godliness, what you're kind of doing is getting out of the way. You're getting out of the way. You're letting the Holy Spirit have His way. You say, Lord, take my whole life. I'm a living sacrifice. When you put yourself on the altar, you're basically saying, you have the freedom to transform me from the inside out so that Jesus comes out. You see that? Now, one person said, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the table. Anyone? You make that decision. I want to be a living sacrifice. I'm, 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 that's it. I want to make that choice. But how many of you by Monday, you've crawled off the table? God's like, come here. Where'd you go, Scott? <laughs> Where'd you go? That's why it's a daily choice. Being a living sacrifice, when it says present your bodies, it's like a wedding ceremony. You go through the ceremony. You say the vows. It's a decision you make, followed by many other decisions in light of that vow. Amen? When you present your body as a living sacrifice, you make a decision. And that one decision to present yourself on the altar and say, I'm a living sacrifice, is followed up by decisions this afternoon, tomorrow at work. You see what I'm saying? Transformation is continuous. 
That's the word sanctification. From the inside out. And so I want you, you know, as we leave, as we take communion, ask yourself, why did you come this morning? Was it information? Reformation? Or part of transformation? Do you come so that, as Romans 12, 2, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds? We're going to look at this next week and we're going to transition into the importance of your mind. A lot of people say, oh, you Christians, you just check your brains at the door. Oh, no. The Bible says, Romans 12, 2, we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're, going to, we're going to look at that next week. And so this morning, begins with a choice. The most, re- according to Romans 12:1, the most reasonable, intelligent, rational, logical decision you and I can make in light of God's gospel, in light of His goodness, in light of His grace, in light of His compassion, the most reasonable, rational, logical thing you can do is to present your whole self to Him as a living sacrifice. To yield, say, Lord, I willingly give you my body, my whole life. And I want to be transformed by you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. When Jesus was transfigured, the glory of who he was was allowed to come out. And your desire for us is that we would be transformed, that we would experience supernatural metamorphosis from the inside out. And yet we have responsibility in that. We have choices to make. We have to choose to have our mind renewed. We have to choose repentance to change our mind when it doesn't line up with your mind and your will as revealed in your word. And so, Father, maybe this morning you've spoken to our hearts and we weren't real clear on why we come to church and why we read our Bibles and why we pray. And it's just been really kind of just a bunch of to-dos. Maybe this morning it makes sense that it's part of transformation. That you're transforming us through the renewing of our mind. And so, Father, if we've come here primarily for information gathering, we ask you to forgive us. We've come here primarily for reformation and more concerned about the outer than the heart. We confess that as well. But Lord, we know that the next step is repentance. It's a change of will. Change of mind. And then it plays out practically. So, as we prepare for communion, we're reminded of Jesus. The ultimate living sacrifice. Who laid His life down for our sake. Who made that choice. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. The same choice we make daily. And so, as we uh, take this time of communion, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. But this morning, even as we come forward, perhaps we do it reminded that we are called, in Romans 12, 1, to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Set apart for your purpose. And so this morning, uh, if you're new, we, we take communion. The cart's going to come to the center here. You can come down the center aisle when you're ready. You can take the cups and uh, go back to your seat. You can take communion on your own in recognition and your conviction that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. And 
we just let you have this time of, of prayer and reflection about the Word and, and uh, remembrance of who Jesus is. So you can come forward uh, whenever you're ready.